Anyang Haseo. Welcome to Afternoon of Delight. We're Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the Halley wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokey and listen to your new favorite unis. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. So I, you know how like there's like the old wives tale, I guess, of like bad luck can come in threes. So Mm -hmm. I have had an interesting run of luck this week or lack of it, but I think I just hit my third today because I've been waiting to see if the third was going to come. So (laughs) I wanted to just talk through them really quickly. So the first one happened to me on Monday. I've had a really bad cold. You can probably still hear it, my voice. And one of my friends in town gave me like a jar of zinc and was like, you know, this is going to help. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I look and I knew this about myself, but I kind of just forgot that like if I take zinc in an empty stomach, I vomit. So (sighs) I popped some zinc, got my daughters from school early because one of my college friends was coming through town and I was going to meet them at the end of the wharf in Santa Cruz. We have like a long wharf boardwalk type thing. And so I haven't seen her in like, you know, four and a half years. Her whole family's with her father, her father's wife, her daughter, and her great grandmother. (laughs) And luckily they weren't there right when we arrived because I showed up and I started to be like, oh my gosh, I am going to vomit and I'm going to vomit like in a minute. And so, you know, you get like sweaty and stuff. And so like, I'm looking around like, okay, I don't want to like be meeting them. Like, Hey, how's it going? Just hang on. I just need to go vomit. So I like kind of panicked. (laughs) And this is also a place where lots of people eat outside. Lots of tourists are there to look at sea lions. And so I don't know, I panicked. And apparently there was a bathroom. I ran right past the bathroom, like the public bathroom and just ralphed off the side of the boardwalk, like while people are drinking their champagne and eating their lobster rolls with like my two kids next to me, like, Bobby, what's happening? So I just looked horrifying. And while it was happening, the sea lions in the water were coming up to like nosh on it. So just to add it. Oh, no, so that's the first thing. <laughs> oh my God. That's, 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 that's pretty bad. That should have been start of the week. And the second one was the next day I was, wait, what's today? Today's Thursday. So no, so this was yesterday, I think. Maybe it was the day before. I don't know. I was doing school drop-off with my son and I wore slippers. (laughs) I had no bra and like no bra and like kind of like jammy outfits, like very clearly, like just was rolling out from bed to like take him to school. My hair a mess. And then I pulled over by his school to like catch up on some emails and stuff because this is the last week of the job I'm in. I'm about to transition to a new position at the university. And so I've been busy. And so I was like, you know, I'm just gonna slam out like a couple emails really quickly while they're on my mind. So I get all this work done in a half hour. And I was like, man, I just like crushed this morning. And now I'm gonna go home. And I realized I'd left my lights on and my car was dead. And then I was like, Oh, my God, I'm gonna have to call like someone to jump me looking the way I do right now and then I was like okay like that's (laughs) fine whatever I can do that the person comes and it is like a hot shit like 24 year old man (laughs) who's like super charming and sweet and I was like I could not look like the more haggard ajuma like in her like pajamas (laughs) and like no three children boobies flopping around and so that was like another thing and I was like you know that was something I just didn't need to have happen 
So that was my second. And then I was like, is there going to be like a third this week? So today I was shooting some footage because I was recording, like I'm making this video for something I had to do for work. And I was shooting some footage on campus and my sister was in the car and I was on a phone call. So I was trying to get back to my sister who's visiting me right now from Seattle. I was listening to a phone call for work and I was trying to videotape something. And, you know, you should probably just do one of those things. And there was like a pothole (laughs) in the street. And I was making eye contact with my sister in the van to try to be like, hang on, I'm almost coming. And as that happened, I tripped and I had enough time to feel like Bong Juan in um, Mr. Queen. Like I was like in the air long <laughs> enough to like make eye contact with her, watch her face change to like, oh my God. And then I like flew past the window, like full Superman airborne. My phone went flying. <laughs> I like hit hard. And apparently I just made like a horrible sound like, <laughs> and I don't even remember. I got up and I was laughing so hard. I couldn't breathe. But like the wind was knocked out of me too. And then I got back in the car and she's like, you just need a minute. Like you just need to, like you're shaking. You need a minute. And I was like, well, that's, and I kept being like, that's the third, that's three, that's three. So yeah. So touch wood. Yeah, I'm good now. <laughs> oh my god that is actually yeah, i terrible. know right and i'm, I'm glad you're okay I, actually, I don't want to curse myself i actually I'm feel drive, really like, bad to San Jose tonight so i'm like come on fate i feel like i got my third out of the way let's not have a redwood follow me yeah i feel like you're good okay, oh my I god and i won't complain about anything because i'm just like well <laughs> my allergies have been bad <laughs> that's all i got yeah, yeah i got my second shot this week so i mean i felt bad for like Yay. a day but yeah it's okay and I'll just say real quick, I went, because obviously I haven't been out a lot for the last year, but I went to a farmer's market that's actually in my city. So it's really wonderful because there are a lot, it's just such variety of food. I mean, you have, you know, because it's, it's in a city, so there's just more people, diversity, it's fantastic. And found there's this cute little stand with two ajumas selling korean food and i got a beef bowl today with yum yum sauce and it was i mean it was a little spicy but it was it it, i ate it it didn't matter because it was so freaking good so i can't wait to go back they have chop shay that they sell on saturdays they even have a a korean cheesesteak i might try dumplings and they were like the cutest little ajumas ever and i was just so excited So let's get into it. A plucky inventor with dreams of success despite her many failures, who currently mooches off her married, stressed brother, an isolated rich kid turned adult who craves the one thing that can kill him, human touch. Throw in a crackpot team of scientists, a robot with an outdated pink dress, a kissing expert bestie, and some chayball baddies. What do we have? I am not a robot. A drama starring Yoo Sung Ho and Chae Soo Bin that aired in 2017. The gist of the plot is this. Chae Bin plays Joe Jia, a woman who has invented countless knickknacks, all with no real success. Her ex-boyfriend is a scientist who, unbeknownst to her, has made a very advanced robot in her likeness. When the robot, Aji 3, breaks before her big reveal to an investor, Jia is begged to fill in. All she has to do is pretend to be a robot for two hours to impress the investor, Kim Min Kyu, played by the ever-adorable Yoo Sung Ho. But she can't tell him she's human because he's allergic to humans. What could go wrong? Well, because this is K-drama land, let's say a whole heckin' lot goes wrong, and it's all amazing. So according to Wikipedia, this drama was a commercial failure, averaging 3.22% of the audience share and receiving the lowest viewership ratings in its time slot. With that said, we here at Afternoon of Delight 
need to reveal our agenda for today's episode. And that agenda is to convince you all that I Am Not a Robot deserves to be talked about as one of the best romantic comedy K-dramas. We're not going to be shy about it. This drama had all the makings of what should have been a disaster, to be honest. But with clever writing and superb acting, it ended up being an absolute delight that had us tearing up one minute and cheering the next. Want to know what makes this drama so great? Well, good thing you're here because we're about to tell you. Obviously, this episode contains spoilers, so proceed at your own risk. Or better yet, go watch I'm Not a Robot and fall in love with Yoo Sung Ho's smile like we did. Then come back and listen to us rave. So Yoo Sung Ho spoke candidly in an interview with Soompi in 2018. During the interview, Yoo Sung Ho talked about how he felt after he first saw the viewership ratings, which were disappointing. Quote, to be honest, after I saw the ratings for our first episode, I couldn't look at the director in the eyes at the filming set the next day. You can't blame the actor completely, but in a way, the actor is at fault as well. I couldn't look at Shea Subin's face either. Just a reminder that this is all translated. It was translated on the website, but still, you know take that into account. He also said, I do think the viewership ratings were a bit disappointing as well. However, if you remove the ratings, the actors were good, the director's producing style was good, and everything was perfect and good. A lot of people seemed unsure if I would do an interview because the drama didn't do that well. I probably wouldn't have if I looked only at the drama's ratings. However, I'm happy with just the fact that I filmed this drama and I wanted to brag about the drama. So, unquote, I found that adorable that he still said all that. He added, quote, we concluded that the fact that there was no prior Wednesday through Thursday drama due to the NBC strike was a large factor. The drama also may have seemed hard to approach because it included robot in the title. Of course, there are disappointing aspects, but I don't want to evaluate this drama with the number from the ratings alone. He mentioned that the drama did perform well overseas, which helped boost the morale on set during filming. And on a positive note, he said, quote, of all the productions I've filmed so far, I Am Not a Robot was the happiest set for me. I think it may remain the happiest production even in the future. So any thoughts on this interview with Yu Sung Ho? Am I the only one who wants to give him a hug and a head hat and tell him that he did amazing? I honestly don't even know what to say because this drama for me hit all the marks. It was well paced it had an excellent conflict and a romance that blew me away. So hell yes, I want to hug Yu Sung Ho and tell him that this drama, being a commercial failure, which still how, is no reflection on him. Zero. None. His pitch-perfect portrayal of Kim Min Kyu or his dazzling smile. Like, there's nothing not to love about this drama, and it makes me so sad and disappointed that it was not a success. Commercial. Uh, his, yeah. Yeah, his smile. Uh, So, I mean, I really do wish I knew what turned viewers off from this drama. You know, was it the premise? I wonder, because I will say that on paper, I think it sounds silly almost and like not believable. And like silly, I, I don't mind like some silly plots, but I mean silly in like a turned off way, you know? And I, I started watching it on a whim, thinking it was going to be silly. And then, of course, it blew like all my expectations and ended up being incredibly heartfelt. I really do love that Yu Sung Ho is proud of this drama. Like, I like that he said that. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to look at just the ratings alone. And I'm going to be proud because I had a good time on set. And I think we did well. And he's still getting plenty of amazing roles. So it's clear he's like respected for his acting. And recently I saw he's kind of like making the rounds again, like the publicity rounds, because I think he has a new role to announce again soon. So good for him. I'll watch him in anything. I feel like our purpose is that everyone knows what a true delight I Am Not a Robot is, especially if you are a romance fan and if you like a complicated hero, you need to watch it. And honestly, Megan, if you hadn't watched it and like raved about it, I don't think I would have. And I was thinking about like what he said of like, you know, I don't know why people wouldn't have watched it. And it just wasn't really on my radar. Like I had seen it mentioned and I don't know, like 
it is funny to think about like was it the term robot that like turned me off in the title and like maybe it was like it just didn't make me take a second look as much but then I had like another win with another underrated drama that Amy and I have both watched called My Holo Love and that you know has a little bit of like an AI type of story as well and that kind of got on the radar like oh I think I kind of like these stories that I really didn't think I would like. And so that made me more receptive to, you know, trying out I Am Not a Robot, and I'm so happy I did. And so I think, again, it's just that reminder to me that, like, sometimes I think, you know, we can all get a little bit stuck in that idea of what we think we like, and let that be, like, what defines us. And, you know, by all means, like, you know, we all have stuff that, like, we're gonna, like, gravitate to that's, like, you know, our hot button issues. Like, for some reason right now, I'm really liking romance with serial killers, and I can't explain why. But yeah, I think it's a good reminder to, like, keep trying things especially as like we're exploring you know k-dramas and asian dramas and even if like the idea is like oh that's not really like necessarily like an area i'm into like maybe it is so i think it's like a good reminder for me and i'm mostly speaking to me because i think i can get a little bit like set in my ways with what i'm watching to just like keep having an open mind and trying stuff this is where i commend Megan with her speed at consuming K-dramas because you have been able to recommend stuff to us that wasn't on our radar and this one in particular. And for me, nothing turned me off about it. I just wasn't hearing about it. You know what I mean? And as soon as you mentioned how much you love the romance, like I was on board and I totally agree. And I'm so thrilled that we're talking about it. So yeah, I think it's great that we have that effect on each other that, you know, some of us are watching dramas and like, oh my gosh, everybody else has to watch this. And that we're kind of making each other fans of some of our favorites. There are plenty of dramas that I wouldn't have watched just based on like the premise that I didn't think I'd be interested or even to be honest, when the camellia blooms, I'm not sure I would have picked that. I wasn't into the title. I wasn't into like the trailer and now I'm watching it and it's like one of the best things I've ever seen. And I'm like, what? Like, that's what I like being pushed out of. Well, sometimes like we we kind of say this sometimes as writers, we're like, readers don't always actually know what they want. And I feel like as a listener, I don't, or a, a viewer of entertainment, I don't actually always know what I want. So anyway, before we get into it, a few friendly reminders, make sure to subscribe wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, leave us a review and tell us something you liked about the show. We aren't here to just talk to ourselves. So we want to make sure we're giving you the content you enjoy. Also follow us on Instagram at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for all the show ratings that don't make it onto the pod. Book recs, behind the scenes fun, and generally shameless fangirling. And if you want to message us about anything you heard on the show, email us at afternoonadelightpodcast at gmail.com. The son of a chable, Kim and Q, loses his parents at a young age. After being betrayed by his best friend and the men who worked for his father, he develops a severe allergy to human touch. Yes, this is true. And yes, it sounds hokey, but Yoo Sung-ho plays the role of a standoffish chairman with vulnerability and depth. So let's talk about the poignancy of the opening scene and why it was one of the best in all K-drama land. What stood out to you the most? And why do you think it was so necessary? This scene was so epic for me. And often when we talk about scenes in K-dramas, I have to like go back and rewatch and make sure I remember what I'm talking about. But I didn't have to think for more than a millisecond about what the opening scene was to this drama. Kim and Q screeching to a halt in a parking garage, suiting up in his mask and grabbing his baton before striding into a building. You think it's the intro to whoever the villain might be, but no, it's Kim and Q having to tirelessly show up for another military interview to prove why he cannot enter the military because human touch will literally kill him. This was just done so freaking well. It was badass and poignant all at the same time. And 
it stands out in my mind, as we just said, as one of the best openers in all K-dramas. Like I can picture almost the whole scene in my head because it's so, it's very vivid. And it was also so important because the viewer of the drama has to know his allergy is real. I thought they were going to maybe be vague about it, but the drama I don't think would have worked. Like you have to believe that his human allergy is real and you have to believe it's deadly. It's really important to the conflict of the show. So if the audience doesn't believe that and they think he's like making it up, then the show would fall flat because I mean, you see in the very opening scene, he touches a doctor and his skin, it almost like erupts and like boils. And essentially, it almost sends him into like an anaphylactic shock. And the visuals of the scene are great, too. It's all white, like everything in the room is white, except for Kim Min-kyu and his like all black outfit. And it's also important because without saying too much, the scene does sort of echo then in the finale and it brings the drama full circle. You know, I can't speak to the average South Korean and their feelings over the fact that, you know, men all have mandatory military conscription, but I felt like in kind of setting it in this way too, it was just also showing how outside the norms of society the hero was going to be in this fast snapshot where there is like some shame, you know, like people are, you know, he's getting pushed like at the beginning before he like reveals like the depth of his allergy of basically like, you know, you don't want to like serve your country and manhood being questioned but also how isolating that is and like the anger and kind of like impotence he has in his situation i feel like we get that all in just this really quick snapshot like by the end of this we realize we're dealing with somebody who is in a deep lot of pain and i will say that for me i don't know what it is but like touch phobia issues in heroes are like kryptonite to me i love it i love it so much i've like written a hero with a touch phobia like it's just it's my thing and so the touch allergy just takes it to like the next level so for me that was actually a selling point and if that is that weird madness is a selling point to like any of you listening yeah it's just done so well in the whole drama and i feel like yeah it does have that really nice mirroring where at the end we can see like a nice arc of like where the hero ends up i'm like learning how to sell leah dramas now but i was like (laughs) It's basically like, Leah, you, first of all, you kind of wrote a hero like this. He has a touch phobia. He's isolated. Like, I I forget what else I said. There's found family. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is, I swear to God, this hero is your drama, is is your hero. You did. You did not go, okay, so there's like this Nick Cage driving into the parking lot, screeching to a halt. No. And Jean-Claude Van Damme was not mentioned once no, when Megan no. talked about this drama. So I was really was proud perfect. of myself. I feel like I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> I do like what you mentioned, though, about the shame, because there was shame there. Just as the drama plays on, I think he wants to do his military conscription, but there is shame there. And you're right. I do think in a way it shows that without him having to say, I'm ashamed, I can't do this. You know, the actual writing of that scene was was really fantastic. The plot hinges on Kim and Q believing that Joe Jia is a robot. He's presented as a genius, so why does he fall for this? And did we believe this plot point? And my first thought about this was that Aji 3 looks human, but because he thinks she's a robot, when he touches her, his anxiety doesn't trigger his allergy. So from this point on, I fully believe him believing her to be a robot because she is the only quote-unquote person that he can touch. And I believe his continued gullibility, specifically because of his dire need for companionship. I bought it all hook, line, and sinker, and I enjoyed every second of watching it play out. Yeah, I do remember you like messaged us. You're like, wait a minute. Didn't he touch her? He touched her and he didn't get an allergy. And I was like, you're like, was that was that supposed to happen? I'm like, just wait, because yeah, because then they 
Yeah, they touch. Right. And that's when you realize that it's a psychological trigger. Basically. You do. So yeah. it's like you know his allergy is real. And then you know it's a psychological trigger. And you do realize that quickly, but it's obviously still a real thing. So I completely agree with what you said. And I also think it's very – his backstory – is incredibly important. I really love how this drama did his backstory, mainly because they didn't throw it at you all at once. So they sprinkled it in really well, which is I personally, that's how I try to write a backstory. That's how I prefer it to be shown. So his parents died when he was eight, I think it was somewhere around there, seven, eight, six, I don't know. And so from then on, he lived in this giant mansion by himself because of his allergy. And it wasn't quite who raised Gia. <laughs> it's just going to be like the situation kind of. But he had a he did have like a family butler who was like around. And again, it was a little different, too, because he had incredible family money and that was still coming in. So it's not like he had to like do everything himself. I'm sure there were like accountants and stuff that helped took care of his dad and whatever. But anyway, other than that, he was isolated from all humans. He he seriously raised himself. Like other than this family butler, he didn't he didn't see people. So he really wasn't socialized. And he puts on at the beginning, he puts on this like brave face when he has to like at the company and he does talk about that later. He does confess that he tries to be tough because it prevents people from hurting him first. But he is really terrible at understanding humans. I mean, he truly is. And I think that that was the key for me to fully buy into him believing Gio was a robot. Because he, like, I don't even think he, like, understood how humans worked, like, to a degree. You know what I mean? And she was designed to be highly intelligent and one of a kind. And he was told that he had to program her to get to know him and then she would be able to provide emotional responses so every time she did something that he didn't expect he thought it was like him programming her i mean there were moments where i'm like really buddy really but the show still sold it to me and i bought it yeah i mean same it stretched my credulity but i was happy for the ride because i was having fun watching it and so you know like with the robot there were times that you know she would break character and then she explained it away by saying she had like a friendship mode setting you know i thought that was fun and like a clever you know quick thinking on the heroine's part but also kind of surprising that like he didn't really pick up on it but then like yeah like you both said this is a person who's had no connections outside of his appliances and his housekeeping butler whatever you know housekeeper slash butler and i i really love that he had the butler too (laughs) that butler was awesome But, you know, I just cannot overstate how much I loved that moment early on in the drama where he's having a party with himself and his Roomba and he (laughs) has his little party hat on and he goes, happy birthday, our cutie to the vacuum and presents it with new batteries so that they can stay together for a long time. So I think like, you know, we were given a lot of evidence that he had developed close relationships with inanimate objects, basically, for like his own sanity. And so, you know, in some ways it makes sense then that like a sentient AI robot would be incredibly reasonable for him to adapt to quickly. That is such a good point. You know, it was just another way that the show did incredible writing because you're right. They show right away. Oh, he clearly has like probably an unhealthy attachment to robotics in his life, but that's because they're his friends. He doesn't have anything else. But yeah, he called like he put a he put like a a birthday hat on the Roomba and he's like, you're so cute. Yeah, (laughs) like the Roomba. It's just it's adorable. I mean, that's the that's like literally the opening scene. He has all kinds of fancy gadgets because those are his companions. I get where he's coming from, though, because I love 
vacuums. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have three vacuums in my house, and wow. one of them one of them is a robot vacuum. So yeah, I do love my vacuum. You so happen I've to have a right Dyson? There. I do. So today my sister and I got into it because she does not like my vacuum and I like my vacuum. I have a Miley and she was like, why don't you have a Dyson? I'm like, I don't know. Cause I'm more than satisfied with my vacuum. And she's like, literally my Dyson is my favorite thing I own and it has changed <laughs> my life. And so there we go. We're talking about a lot of passion for vacuums today. I do. My, my Dyson is like, I have a full Dyson vacuum. I forgot which one it's called, but it's like, it's a corded one and it's big and it's heavy, but like it, it is, it does the best job and I've had it for decades. I really want a cordless Dyson. That's like going to be my birthday present to myself this summer, I think. (laughs) Okay. Wait, I I have a question though. Like I break, I break like one vacuum a year. So like you're telling me that a Dyson won't break on me? Like I can break anything. I don't know if it won't break on you. What are you? What are Are you you buying cheap ass vacuums or are you? I mean, sometimes I back up (laughs) coins. Sometimes I just they're on the floor. I don't feel like picking them. Don't vacuum a coin. Oh. (laughs) So I vacuum coins sometimes, and I try to tell myself that like someday archaeologists are gonna find. Like the penny I vacuumed and like get a lot of value. So I pretend like I'm doing a good thing for science. Just pick up the damn coin. Like (laughs) Amy just looked at me like a very disappointed Sunday. She was like, I am one of those people though who will go over and over like the same string a million times because I'm like, the vacuum should fucking pick it up. Like I shouldn't have to bend over to get it. But a coin, like pick up a coin, like don't ruin oh. your don't ruin your Dyson. But you can buy refur like our, my Dyson's refurbished, so Dyson sells refurbished and models it's too. That long? Oh, maybe I need to. Invest. Yeah, and I've had it for decades. But my okay. Miley is yellow and it's cute, and my it Dyson's feels yellow? like a lovely. Mine feels like a lovely. <laughs> we can have a vacuum. Maybe we can all post our vacuums to social media, and we can like compare and contrast, and then see whatever Megan's haggard vacuum. I'll post a like. picture of, of myself cleaning my Dyson with a dust buster. Okay, well, <laughs> since this question was co- going to come a little later, but since we're talking about this now, let's just talk about it. So okay, okay. Kim, Kim and Q has a ranking system for the electronics in his house, which we've, that's what we're talking about. So when Aji3, who's, you know, Joe Gia, first enters his house, he tells her that the floor vacuum is actually her Sunday, which means like above her in the ranking system because she's the newest. And he calls only his favorite electronics lovely. So excluding your phone and your computer, what deserves the title of lovely at your house? (laughs) I think I didn't pick a vacuum just because I didn't want to choose between them and make anybody feel bad. And because I still want more vacuums, apparently. (laughs) I am. I've already decided my birthday is this summer. I'm getting myself a cordless Dyson. There you go. So, but for right now, I will say hands down my hair appliances are... My lovelies. I have curly hair that I tame with several different appliances, but I think my biggest lovely would be my Revlon One Step. We are not sponsored by Revlon, though we're open to it, but I just love this appliance and it's my lovely. And it is a round brush hairdryer. So like it full on blows like enough air to blow dry your hair, but then it's also a round brush. What is this madness? I need it. I can go get it and show you. No, when, well, when, I'm looking the, it up right now. I'm due for a new one though, because I use the hell out of it. And so the bristles are getting like kind of all bent and stuff, but I've had it for like two years. So I figure I can drop another 45, 50 bucks for another one, but I cannot live without this. And it's like big and cumbersome. And I travel with it. Like when travel used to be a thing, like when I used to go to writing conferences, this <laughs> always came with me like this and a flat iron and I'm good to go. 
That's awesome. And it gives volume because that's the thing too. Like right. I like a little volume in my hair and uh, <laughs> it gives good volume, especially if you're doing like second day hair, which mm-hmm. everybody should be doing second day hair because you shouldn't wash your hair every day. That it's, it's, only, it's really helpful. It's only 60 bucks at Ulta. Okay. That's not bad. So I might have to buy one. It might be cheaper day, on Amazon. Second day hair. I would argue I'm kind of like a fan of five day hair. <laughs> I shower. I shower more. But yeah, I do a lot of dry shampooing and I let the grease of my non-hair washing give me the volume. (laughs) Yeah. So I used to go longer without washing my hair, but I shower like twice a day now because I work in a school. So there's there's a whole other like level to that. So I'm, I'm washing my hair more than I want to, but come summer, I will be doing second, you know, third day hair and all that fun stuff. You'll be back to dirty like us. I will. Be, I'll be so dirty. Oh my God. I mean, yeah, I am on like five day now and you can tell this is not like my best. Like I think three is probably like a solid that washed on the floor. <laughs> yeah. So my lovely is my Keurig. Like just, it just is. And I'm sorry. And I know it's wasteful to use those pods, but like. That's my vice, okay? And then my second is probably my electric tea kettle because now I've been drinking instant coffee thanks to- I, I was going to say, is your Keurig feeling bad now that you're drinking a lot of medicine? Yeah, I do. <laughs> so all throughout the day now, I drink the instant coffee that Amy sent us and I'm super Maxim. into it. Yeah, Maxim the Maxim stuff. So I'm and I, and I really like it. So yeah, that's those are my lovelies. Yeah, so Amy sent us all this really sweet box of instant coffee Maxim that you see everyone drinking in K-dramas. And I've actually gone through that box, and I am now on my third box. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And I love my electric tea kettle to the moon. I'm living with an Australian tea kettles. Electric tea kettles are the way. And so we have a cute one. But I would say really, like, in my heart, my lovely is my AirPods, or my are my AirPods, is our, I don't know, are my AirPods because, (laughs) you know, they were an indulgence purchase. Like I had suffered through lots of cheap knockoff crappy earphones for a long time, spending way more than the AirPods purchase would have ever been just because I was like, oh, that just seems like, you know, a bougie indulgence. And then I kind of hit this point in COVID where I was like, you know what? I am worth it for all the things I'm going to buy these. And they've honestly bring me so much pleasure from snapping them out to putting them in to charging them my husband saw me get them and was like you're gonna lose those immediately i am proud to say that i got them in november and have still not lost them and (laughs) i fall asleep with them almost every night because i watch k-dramas on my phone and fall asleep wearing the airpods then they helpfully fall out of my ear which then stops the drama so i don't Mm, keep watching and then in the morning i just gather the pods up (laughs) off my pillow pop them in the case charge them so they're ready for another binge in the night they fall out of my ears because i have like neil is seriously like what is wrong with your ears because no earbuds really fit so i don't sponsor me if you make i i do i still love my my airpods and they do mostly stay in but like nothing like neil's like you have deformed ears and i'm like i probably do you should say neil what i have is a tiny hole oh my god Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm the one drinking wine. <laughs> oh my God. It's getting dirty up in here. Oh my God. <laughs> Yu Sung Ho acted his ass off, giving us laugh out loud moments as well as extremely emotional ones. What is your favorite scene of his? Okay. So I wrote this question and I still had a hard time narrowing it down because he really gave us everything in this role from physical comedy to like heart wrenching cries. There's a scene that I'll talk about later that I almost wrote, but since I'm talking about later, I'll I'll talk about a different one now. So the drama didn't shy away from a big grovel on the heroine's part. She and the team 
they did deceive him. Like, I think we've kind of summed up the drama well enough now. You know, they I mean, they lied to him for a long time. And so he was obviously embarrassed. He, he, I mean, he had every right to be incredibly angry about what they did, even though they didn't tell him because they thought it would kill him. Like they thought the truth. Eventually, would... eventually. Yeah, they eventually. But they did deceive him purposely at the beginning. So after he finds out the truth and almost dies, Gia refuses to leave him alone. I mean, at that point, she has she has fallen in love with him and she knows he has no one else and that he had kind of found a family with her even though she was a robot, and this, like, scientist team. But he's incredibly hurt, and he has his pride still. It's failing. Like, he, you know, he, like, almost died. It, it's just, it's it's bad. And he, he screams at her, and he breaks some things in his house. And I thought that that scene was really, he played it with a nuance that, to me, was really amazing. Because the scene could have felt unbalanced or abusive. But the way Sung Ho played it, I mean, you can feel his hurt as he's yelling and he does have a good reason to be upset you know he's angry but he's also so very wounded and betrayed and the fact that he like i said he played that scene without me thinking oh god he's like he's gone too far because I, I i don't i didn't think he did that scene to me was one of the reasons i was like this drama this romance is gonna work because he couldn't just forgive like there's no way and he explained the very reasons to her that he was so angry and she knew why and she i mean to agree she still didn't really give up on him but i mean she did have to grovel and i loved that scene so much even though it was so painful to watch i loved how it was played because i think it absolutely had to happen the way it did like i don't think that scene could have gone any other way no it had to happen that way for the romance to work i actually brought that scene up later so i'll echo that back later when we get to it but i love right. it i love that scene yeah, and it did feel like it was like over the top, but yeah, it didn't feel abusive. It felt like it was believable because I think if we had not had this like massive eruption of him just completely losing it, we wouldn't like I think I needed to have that to sell, you know what I mean? Like to just sell like how much the rest of the pain that we've been asked to buy into him throughout the whole drama. And so like I think that that I'm trying to figure out like the way what I'm trying to say. But basically I feel like the whole drama we're being asked to kind of like buy this improbable premise that he is allergic to people, that he is in pain, he is lonely, and then he finally like has this connection both like romantically, but then like found family. And he like really starts to take that step like out of that identity that he has of like being like alone in this like table with a baton by himself. And when he like steps out of that and then realizes like basically feels like he has his like little underbelly like exposed and finds out that it had been like this con. If he hadn't had such a big reaction. Yeah, I just don't think that like the rest of it wouldn't have felt as true in hindsight. So I think we absolutely needed to have the emotion. Yeah, yeah well, I think the reconciliation wouldn't have made sense. I was I'm just like, going to say, you wouldn't yeah. believe him. You wouldn't believe him forgiving them if he mm. didn't at first lose his shit about it. Because mm. he I mean. That scene really killed me because in a way, like I hated it. I hated that he was yelling and I hated that she was crying so hard. But I was like, this needed to like he has every right to yeah. like be so angry. And, you know, in a lot of romances, I feel like they'll shy away from really letting the heroine have it. It was just so good. It was such it was such an amazing scene. 
And to lighten it up a little bit. Yeah. So, <laughs> Go ahead. Well, no, because I, I will I will echo that scene back in a little bit. But for me, as far as a favorite scene, I mean, pretty much anytime Kim and Q smiles, like I could not get over this guy's smile. It absolutely kills me. And one of the best happy moments for me was the scene where Aji 3 or Jia is Aji 3, takes him out to go test his immunity in public because he realizes that when he's around her, that he doesn't have flare-ups. And so they're going to go test it out in public. And when they get separated, his anxiety levels spike and he's about to have a reaction. He has this watch now that tells him when he's about to go into basically anaphylaxis. And then the crowd parts and he sees Jia as Aji 3 standing there smiling at him and waving and his watch lets him know that he's out of the danger zone and that's when he realizes that robot or not she is more to him than just a thing and he strides toward her with like that hero purpose and hugs her and oh like that scene just makes me melt I love that scene so much because he's so happy to see her. I love it because there's really no dialogue. You can see the realization dawn on his face because, again, he's such an amazing actor. And you see the, like, gears click into place where he's like, oh, my God, it's her. Like, she's what is making me able to be out in public like this. I mean, it's life changing for him. Mm -hmm. So it just he wars with himself over this a lot. You know, this idea of am I falling for a machine like this is ridiculous. But on the same token, like she gives him a life that he hasn't had since he was like seven years old. So on that kind of sad note, I'm going to take it sadder and say, (laughs) I think that, you know, there's lots of scenes I love, but one that isn't really heartwarming, but for me has stuck with me. And I felt like it was like this real turning point in the drama was when Kim Min-Q at the urging of Aji 3 has the AI team over for dinner. He is an amazing cook because obviously he has just like had to entertain himself and cook food for himself. And the AI team privately just don't really like him. Like he's an important investor in like their AI project, but like they're not fans of him because he's not very nice. But you know, he's making good food. He has amazing beef. So, you know, they're kind of in and like wooed by the table a little bit. But then during the dinner, he reveals that he doesn't know their names and actually didn't even really realize that he had to know their names, which kind of just makes them realize, you know, this dinner is delicious, but like this guy really is just an a-hole. And so there's like this strained like eating that's happening and, you know, Aji 3, the robot's like trying to like get this along because, you know, she's like the bridge between the two groups. And during some strained get to know you chit chat, someone asks about his parents and he has this like very pained, awkward smile. And he's like, Oh, they're laying in their graves side by side. And I don't know why, but it was like very conversational. Like he's like, <laughs> like this guy was like, my parents work in a laundry. What about your parents? And he's like, Oh, mine are laying in the grave side by side. And they're all just like, Oh, and then he kind of tells in the same weirdly like pain smile, awkward, casual tone about this like horrific car accident. And I feel like it's the first time that the ensemble gets to see that like lonely traumatized boy behind that like stern guy in black carrying the baton, like keeping the world at a difference. And since to me, this is so much like a found family story too, I felt like that was like the first step forward in that found family, which is one of the reasons I love the drama so much. It's so true because then he's like, we were in a car crash. My parents died and I was the only one left alive. And then he gives this like pain smile and everyone's just staring horrified at him. And I remember he kind of like looks at AG3 like, did I do something wrong? Mm-hmm. And she's just looking at him like, oh my God. Like she, you you know, yeah. she's like, and this is the thing that I love about the drama too is I, she doesn't pity him. 
because she could easily because at first she doesn't pity him at all she thinks he's just this like jerk rich guy and then she gets to know him and she doesn't really pity him she does start to respect him for what he's been through you know what i mean she I, has I just, empathy i think empathy yes. and pity are different and she starts to have You're empathy right. and i think all of them do too because part of it too is that we're asked not only to buy the fact that like he can like not really recognize this human's a robot in the show but we're also being asked to buy that this ensemble cast aren't just like horrible monsters who basically like are in it to like do their AI business with this like wealthy guy who's like funding this robot and you know hiding the truth from him through time you realize that they start to care about him so much that they realize that like or you know they make us have to believe that if he finds out she is human he'll just die (laughs) and you know whatever that aside though I mean like I think it was important because we had to buy into the ensemble cast actually being good decent people not just and like they, business correct. people. Yeah. And I felt like this moment really kind of helped get them to where they could start to like think about him in a way that was like humanizing, not just using him. Yeah. Cause they were definitely using him as the beginning, but then they were using him cause just cause for his money or and because he was right. rich and he was willing to give them that money. Like in a way it was a partnership. Yeah. And they also thought it was going to be temporary and then it wasn't. Yeah. Because the robot, they really did have a robot. I don't think we have mentioned that to date. They really oh, did have yeah. a robot. Right. And the robot malfunctioned and broke, which is why we have a human pretending to be a robot while they're trying. Because the person who made the robot was the heroine's ex-boyfriend. <laughs> and so he went and designed this whole robot in her image. And so that's why they had to bring her in. Can you imagine like finding that out? I'd be like, oh my <laughs> know, God. So and then one of the team members spills liquid into her mechanism but yeah, like, her mechanism is only in her chest we need in to, her boobs in, in her, her boobs. boobs her gears are all in her boobs with yeah. this robot <laughs> <laughs> so there really is an ag3 and ag3 yeah. is a fully functioning robot and we do get to see i mean yeah i mean we'll t- we'll talk about like all the things that this actress can do with this part yeah mm-hmm. definitely But right now, it's time for our favorite segment, our K-Recommendation of the Week. And this week, we have Leah with a K-Skincare Rec. All right. So I like serums a lot. And one serum that I use quite a few times a week is from a company called Benton. It's a South Korean company. And I really enjoy the Snail Bee Ultimate Serum. So yes, in this serum, there is snail mucin. So basically I am taking like, I hope cleaned juiciness from a snail (laughs) and smearing it all over my face and also bee venom. The base of the serum is actually snail secretion that's been fermented and it helps repair skin and treat hyperpigmentation. And then apparently bee venom is good at calming your skin. So who knew? It's free of fragrance and extra alcohol and I really like it. So if you want to smooth some bee poison and snail juice on your face, Benton Snail Bee Ultimate Serum. So I can't just go take like my a snail off my door and just like, smear it on my face. I mean, like maybe ferment it a little bit, then yeah, get it. maybe I will throw it in a jar. And so you know, while we're here, I wanted to give a shameless plug for our new Afternoona Delight podcast merch that is on Redbubble.com. That is Redbubble.com. So just pop onto that website and look up Afternoona Pod and subscribe to our store. Megan, you wanted to try it out and something came to your house. Do you want to share a little bit about that? (laughs) So I ordered a mug. So I've ordered from Redbubble before and it's always been fine. But I ordered a mug and one of the pillow covers. As soon as I opened up my door, I was like, that box looks rough. box looks like it's seen some things and as soon as I picked it up like it just rattled and I, was, and I just look at my son I'm like that mug is broken so I, I, I was like shit 
mattered. But I was I was able to at least see that the logo looked very nice. I kind of wanted to order it, you know, as a test. I want to make sure it looked okay. So I have to message Redbubble and tell them, and I'm sure it'll be fine. But I did get the pillow cover, which I put on a pillow that I already had that says, my other pillow is Kim Soo Hyun's lips. And it's amazing. And I love it very, very much. <laughs> I would snuggle that pillow so it's, hard. It's very great. It's, I love it very much. And it, I was tell you, like, the pillow cover is, like, really heavy duty. The, like, words look really nice. I was really pleased. Really love this heroine. So Chase Subin deserves all the accolades. She essentially plays three roles in this drama. She plays Joji Ah, then she plays Aji Three, like the actual robot, and then she plays Gia playing Aji Three. So three quite different roles. What was your favorite scene with her? So I don't know if it was one particular scene, but it was sort of a repeating moment that happened. And it was when Jia was playing Aji 3. And it was whenever she went into friend mode. And this was the epitome of brilliance when she was playing Aji 3, but then got to act like Jia when she was in this mode. She could roll her eyes and be annoyed with Kim and Q, but also show him affection. And this was my favorite. And it made it all the more heartbreaking when Jia was finally replaced with the real Aji 3, who was quote unquote rebooted and no longer had friend mode as we knew it. And so, you know, when they finally get rid of Jia as Aji 3 and replace her with the real Aji 3, Kim and Q tries to talk to her as he did Jia when she was Aji 3 and put her in friend mode. And there's just such a huge difference. So yeah, I mean, it's sweet, but it's also heartbreaking. And it also shows Chase Subin's brilliance in how she played all of these roles because it felt very much to me like Wuda Hwan in The King Eternal Monarch because you could tell like Megan, you had brought up when he was Unsup playing Jo Young, you could tell that he was the different character. And it's the same thing when it's Jia playing Aji 3, that even when she gets to be in friend mode and act like herself, that she still has this sort of, you know, air of being a robot about her, I guess you would say. I don't even know what you'd call it. But yeah, I just was really blown away with all the ways that she could embody this robot. Right. I completely agree. And the Wudo Wan is a great comparison. And I actually think friend mode, the whole friend mode situation is one of the reasons the romance worked because friend mode was actually Gia. I mean, that's it was like her. Like she would like when he was like, talk to me in friend mode, that it was her. She just couldn't really talk about herself. I mean, she you know what I mean? But I mean, that was her personality. She was responding to him as she normally would. And that's who he fell for. Obviously, he fell for Aji 3 when she was in friend mode. And of course, he thought she was a robot, but she wasn't a I loved everything that Chase Subin did. I, I really thought that this was such an amazing role. So when Gia, as Aji 3, first meets Kim Min Kyu, he gives her a test because that's his whole, that's the whole thing. She's supposed to be there just for this test. So Kim Min Kyu can decide whether to invest in the AI team. So, but because of a power outage, she has, she kind of has these like lenses that are supposed to like give her answers, you know? I mean, come on, it's a drama, but you know, these like, like contact lenses. Yeah, anyway, like the team is feeding her answers so that she doesn't well, have the, to wing The it. real Aji 3 is. So the real oh, yeah, Aji yeah, 3 the, still yeah. speak the only problem with the real ig3 is she because her mechanism in her boobs ha- got wet <laughs> she can't move around but she right. can still function but she's like computer. siri like she can answer any yes. question yes right you guys explained it better yeah so but because of a power outage she like lose uh gia or as ig3 like loses that function so she's trying to like complete his test and she has it's just her Like, you know, and he's giving her like very complicated things, like even like asking her what the stocks are, because she's supposed to be a computer that can like pull up the stocks. But anyway, his tests also have these like complicated math problems. So when he asks her to solve an equation to open a box with an egg inside, (laughs) 
she basically she's like she knows she can't solve the problem in her head it's like super complicated so she basically just says fuck it and she like crashes her fist through the box and produces the egg but he i mean it's it's hysterical like i was physically like rolling around in my bed laughing during the scene and what was great though is that so to kim and q at the time he's like oh my god she has the processing power to like punch through the box to get like he actually just thought that that was like amazing that the robot had that processing power the whole thing i mean i thought geo was actually a genius even though she kind of was down on herself about her intelligence sometimes i thought she was brilliant and then you know there's so many scenes but i just felt like this one jumped out at me and it made me feel like a five-year-old boy because i really did find a lot of humor in the toilet scene after she eats the bad curry so we see (laughs) entire team like the whole ai team just goes down for the count with this bad curry and they're like back in like the workshop you know at kim and q's property like beating each other out of the way to like try to use the toilet and here we have gia is aji3 who is like trying to be a robot with like no bodily functions just like because you can see what the ensemble is going through you realize she's going through an equal amount of pain but having to like sit there with him pretending to be a robot and this is early on too where like he's still testing her a lot and like you know just like not super friendly and so she eventually like just uses the toilet she just cannot oh no <laughs> she farts oh god she farts and says it's and then, him and then blames him and, <laughs> and then she he's like what do you mean i did she's like i mean i cannot i'm a robot and he's like fuck i guess that's true i guess and i then, farted <laughs> and then she like runs into the bathroom when he like has to do something ends up like whatever it was like dumb and dumber scene and then <laughs> she, there's like fancy it was a cologne or perfume that she starts to like spray everywhere and he comes back she's like trying to be like no 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 and he like busts her and he's basically like what are you doing and she's like oh i'm just cleaning because that is like part of my processing and like (laughs) then she just starts spraying this like really expensive perfume around like on the floor and pretending to like clean with it and he's like oh my god like what but he's like oh silly robot you don't understand that that's just like you know incredibly expensive perfume and instead she was like trying to cover up like her stinky curry poo so anyway it was like really lowbrow humor (laughs) it was so funny but it was so funny it was so funny (laughs) I mean, she freaking gaslights him into thinking he farted. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then later, he's like, wait a minute. Was that you actually far like later? Yeah, when, later, yeah, later when he realizes that she was a human, he's yeah. like, "Hang on," and she's like, "Yeah, of course it was me." She's like, "It was me." He's like, "I can't believe you made me think it was me." <laughs> so Kim and Q falls for a robot, but also for Jojia, the inventor. How did the drama show him falling for Gia as herself and not just as a robot? And how did the drama deftly handle what could have been a very creepy power exchange? This idea gave me such healer vibes. It was just like Young Shin falling for Bong Su in real life along with her fantasy of healer. And when we know that they are one and the same. So with Kim and Q in Jojia, we have an enemies to friends to lovers situation with him calling her on the phone first to basically bully her into returning his necklace that she didn't actually steal. She ended up with it accidentally during an exchange between them when she purchased something for him and accidentally touched him yeah maybe just let me like to explain the very we should probably give some context because like if you haven't seen the drama yeah yeah, there was like a meet before she's the robot but she's wearing a helmet yes so right she's wearing a helmet what did she buy for him? she's an errand girl so she would run errands for people and he had like it was like some sort of like new like figurine for like right, it was a figuring of... from like a game though or something yeah wasn't and it? so she okay. waited in this long line with all these like nerd dude bros and like right. and she got, and got it. it yeah yeah. But what happened was a kid who was like eating an ice cream or something like ketchup. 
<laughs> it was ketchup? I think so. I don't know. See, no. Something I, red. Something I red sauce. Brain. Yeah. So a kid was eating something and got it on his fingers and accidentally touched her box. And so there's, you know, like a human had touched, you know, the box or whatever. So when she gives it to him, he touches it and realizes, oh my gosh, I've just had contact and thinks, you know, he's about to die. And so he doesn't pay her and she freaks out and like grabs him and he freaks out because he's going to die because she touched him <laughs> and basically speeds away while her hand is in his car still and his necklace gets accidentally torn off. So she has this necklace and he accuses her of stealing it and she didn't even realize she had it at first. So anyway, their relationship starts out with him calling her as herself to return this necklace. And eventually she does send it back. She mails it to him and the necklace gets returned, but he keeps calling her and because basically he has nobody else to talk to. And he, he admits that at one point. He's like, I don't really have anyone else to talk to. So he keeps calling her and thinking of reasons to do so. And it starts out as her being super annoyed with him. And then it gets all sweet and they're like friends. So all along, he's not only falling for the robot when she's like we talked about in friend mode, which to him is a thing he owns, which could be icky. But he's also falling for Gia herself because he is talking to her all the way through. And then in the final episodes, when he meets Gia for real on the train and then spends the night with her locked in a warehouse on an island, still not knowing that she is this person who deceived him, but only thinking that she is merely the model for AJ3, you see them connect once again because they spend this night together locked in this warehouse. So it solidifies to me that their feelings for each other transcend that sort of you know device owner relationship and that the way that he feels for her is far beyond like him calling a vacuum a lovely or anything like that so i never once felt icky about his feelings for her or hers for him that warehouse the whole warehouse situation killed me Ugh, like it was so like good. like i was so happy because he was so happy but i hurt so badly for her that was so hard Anyway, it was and that's a great part of scene. why he was able to sell that rage not long after once he yes. realized he'd been tricked was he kind of had this like connection with like the human version of Aji three and then realizing anyway. that she knew the whole time they were having that lovely connection. Right, you're right, you're right. Okay, so this is what made the drama work for me, or I would say the romance. So we have Gia, the inventor, who has her own dreams of winning a coveted adventure contest funded by Kim Min Cute's company. See, there's like a lot of layers to this drama. She has several other inventions she's already made, and what's amazing is that Kim Min Cute has bought some of her inventions. Like he has a closet, and when he opens it up, you see inside that he has bought some of her like random things she's made that are kind of like a little off the wall. It's like her inventions are like not something that they're like curiosities. Have... Yeah, they wouldn't have like mass appeal necessarily. Um, they'd be like sharp. They'd be like a sharper image. Yes, product. yes, that's a good. So there is an umbrella that she designed that that can be switched from translucent to opaque. And Kim and Q loves this umbrella, and he tells Aji three without knowing she's Gia. That he wants to meet the person who invented this umbrella. I mean, it's like a really beautiful scene because they're standing outside. It's raining. All these people are walking by, but they're just ignoring them because they're just under this umbrella talking. And he's like, I really think whoever invented this umbrella is a genius. And I want to meet them. And she's just staring at him in awe because one part of her arc is that she's really kind of been told by a lot of people in her life that she's not that smart. And she believes she is. I think she still lacks a little bit of confidence, but... She just wants to kind of be respected for like what she wants to do. And so the fact that this, you know, this man is saying to her, I think this this is an this is a genius idea. 
Like you can see the like wonder on his face as she looks at him and she so badly wants to say it's me. Like it means so much that he that he's saying that. So what helps that too is it makes the romance to me like a little bit more balanced because he's falling for her as the robot that he thinks well friend mode robot i don't know it's complicated but he's also falling for her without knowing it the real her so it's like it's just weird because they're falling for each other this like parallel to their weird you know robot master relationship and it just works and i thought the power exchange of him like essentially owning her was gonna be icky but it wasn't and i think that's because kim mcu liked her more than humans like he absolutely liked the robot more than any humans he respected his lovely and he treated her well and he wouldn't let anyone else order her around like if anyone tried to treat her like a robot he's like no 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 no. and he also like sought her advice all the time like sometimes i really felt like she was the adult in the relationship and so it created this dynamic that as amy said kind of transcended the device owner relationship yeah i felt like he was almost like dependent on her rather than oh my god yeah totally So honestly, I feel like both of you covered most of this pretty well. I just had one thing I wanted to mention. And I feel like if you have not seen this drama, this is just going to feel like a big WTF. But you know what? It is a WTF that lives in my heart, which is, so Gia is this inventor. And there's this inventor contest that is funded by Kim and Q's company. And she is going to present this invention that she has. And they are like little light hearts. And if you touch one, the other one will light up. So, I mean, I think these actually exist around like these type of things where you can touch something and far away, something else lights up and it lets you know, like a loved one's thinking of you. So anyway, this is her concept. She's pitching it, but I really, truly am not sure (laughs) she wears I can't even deal with this. She wears a disguise to this invention, like presentation. And I mean, like, It's like a huge curly wig, like a red sequiny jacket, right? And like, is there a fake mustache? Like, I don't, it's like. She wears glasses that have a mustache dangling from it. Dangling. And no one questions her. No. And I mean, like, it's like. (laughs) She looks ridiculous. Yeah. No one says anything. And no one else is like this either. And so. No one else is in costumes. Yeah. And so like, yeah, she's trying to disguise herself because she doesn't want to let on that like she's actually like playing Aji 3 but i was like so you pick the most i mean like she it just i don't even know what to say it's the craziest costume basically like the big fake glasses with the fake nose and mustache and we're meant to be like and just that nobody was like wait what's that person doing she just was like rolling through the contest like that so right no one questioned it and she looked in she looked crazy (laughs) and also i'm like why didn't you just wear a mask yeah a face mask yeah just wear a face (laughs) mask i mean they do it all the time in dramas all the, yeah, all the time. no, that's a great point. Like a face mask would have just done the job. And this was it... ludicrous. I hated the wig more <laughs> than I can explain. I hated it. Yeah. And so I will say uh, that was a big WTF that had no explanation. And yes, she needed to wear disguise, but like Megan just solved in two seconds, she could have just worn a face mask. Because she does meet Kim and Q. Like he yeah. comes and he judges the But like he wasn't like either, even like, so why is this weirdo? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I did, I did, other than the, the disguise, I did like that, though. He loved her invention, and he loved her explanation yeah. for the invention, and not even knowing that it was Gia. The fact that they had this invention, like, subplot, at first I was like, oh, what is this? I don't care about these, like, hard things. But it ended up weaving so well into the romance and the overall plot that I was like, well, 
like and, it, it was almost and necessary. And it gave her so much agency because she had to have oh. her own goals and dreams. So loved it. It was very sweet. I loved it. But it does it throw any of the rest of you off that we just keep. Call- I mean, I know Gia is not like a proprietary name, but like every time I hear Gia, I can't help but think of Tail the Nine Tailed, and I was just I wondering know. if that's anybody else's. No, I thought about that when I I got um, I got I had to get used to watching the drama because I'm like, okay, this is not. <laughs> this is not Gia who raised herself and did her own taxes. Right. It did help that they called her Jojia a lot. Yeah. In the yeah. drama. So that helped. And Aji 3 a lot. They, I mean, yeah, she wasn't. Right. Yeah. She was Aji 3, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Megan mentioned in a previous discussion that the romance worked because of the hero's story and character, while the drama worked because of the heroine's agency. Do you agree or disagree? And in what ways? I totally wrote that question. I wrote this question and I talked about myself in the third person. And I, I definitely was like acting like this is a high school essay. <laughs> Do you agree or disagree? And in what ways? Like, seriously, what was I writing like a PSSA or what? Please support your answer. And oh my God. Cite, What's cite nice is that the answer was, well, Megan's answer was pretty insightful. So let's go with that. This was basically me wanting to talk about my answer. Okay. okay. I, I actually had a message Megan and be like, Megan, I don't know what you mean I know. by it's this question. It's because I just want to talk. Okay, I mean, let's let Megan just... Uh, Megan, it sounds like you have something to say. Why don't you just say the thing? <laughs> so I'm just, like, just going to put it out there. Okay, because I obviously clearly thought about this drama so much. So to me, the romance worked because of the hero's isolation and human allergy. Like if he was just a regular guy with a lot of friends, he never would have fallen for the whole Gia being a robot. Like, his friends would have noticed, he would have noticed, because he would have had a much better touchstone on human interaction. Like, he just, it just would not have worked if he had kind of more of a regular life. But he'd been alone since he was eight, and because of his backstory and his current situation, the romance was possible. But if that, you know, if that would have been the only aspect of the drama, I'm still not sure if it would have worked overall. He rarely went anywhere and he was always in his house. And I think it would have made for kind of like a boring, repetitious drama. Like you the, you needed like way more. And Jojia is her story is to me why the drama, why the overall drama worked, because she really had a fantastic storyline. She would go home like she would stay at his house during the day as Aji 3 and then she'd leave because that was one thing is Kim and Q kept trying to get her to like stay overnight and like let her quote charge at his house and they were like no 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 no. you gotta let her she can only charge like in the the warehouse we can't you know it was mostly so Joe Gia could like leave and so she had a family she had a brother and a sister-in-law and a niece and she was working on an invention to present at a competition and I mean she had a really fantastic storyline with really great agency and so this gave us a great conflict that had her come into contact with Kim and Q even though she was disguised as we talked about so I'm speaking in like a weird nuance, but that's how I felt. I felt like he was the reason the romance worked and she was the reason her storyline essentially was the reason why the overall drama worked. And maybe that's just only making sense in my own head, but that's how I feel. Well, it made more sense to me after you wrote your answer. To this, I had a, <laughs> okay. kind of message back and be like, I Megan, I don't know what you're asking. She's like, well, I talked about it in like the discussion about the drama. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you mean. I but like once you wrote, like once you spelled it out for me, because I apparently needed it spelled out it makes total sense like the only reason the robot human relationship worked is because there were no other witnesses to it and this is not to say that kim and q is like an idiot for falling for it all like i feel like on the contrary it is because of his isolation and severe need for human connection that him believing it all was believable to the audience like we want him to connect with gia however he can and for him to be able to do that 
and to not be afraid of her, he has to believe she isn't human, that she won't hurt him like the other humans in his life have, because that's where the allergy comes from, right? It comes from an emotional hurt that turns into a physical manifestation of that emotional hurt. So it's complicated and far-fetched, yet I never for a second questioned his belief because Aji 3 with Jia as Aji 3, because that was truly what Kim and Q needed. But again, like you said, Megan, this would have been a stagnant drama if it was only Kim and Q's story. Jia had a rich and interesting story that was all her own, and she had agency not only in her professional life, but also in her romance with Min Q. Like long after she should have stopped posing as Aji 3, she continued to do so because it was what Min Q needed. And she soon realized it was what she needed as well because she was in love with him. She wasn't just pushed around as the robot or as Jia. Like we mentioned before, like even when he thought she was the robot, he didn't treat her like an object. He didn't treat her like an appliance. Like he treated her like a human, like a friend. She made her own choices even when Min Q thought he was in charge. So like, hello, power save mode. That was absolutely genius. When she wanted to just like close down an argument or like when he was trying to make her do something like clean, she would be like, I have to go in power save mode or my battery's going to die. And she would just <laughs> drop her shoulders in her head and close her eyes. And it was hilarious. And he'd be like, oh, why did they charge you? And then he's like, I'm going to get you better batteries. I'm going to get you the best batteries in the world. Oh, it's so cute. Oh, oh it was really cute. So honestly, I feel like you both cover it. I have got nothing else to add to this because well done. Thank you for doing my homework. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the romance and the cast. The big question. So what do you think about the team's decision not to tell Kim and Q the truth about Aji 3 being a human? How is it different from Nuna's storyline in Healer? Can we just give a quick update on what Nuna's storyline Healer was? Because I think if you're listening again. Oh, right, right, right. Good point. You might not have any idea. Kim Moon Ho knows that Nuna's daughter is alive so nuna has his sister-in-law he has her, her name isn't nuna i'm sorry everyone calls her nuna you made this really good care i'm gonna just like okay. try to give the cliff notes version. okay you do it so do it. in healer there is a character who cannot be told that her daughter who she believes is dead is actually alive because they think if she finds out that truth she's so fragile with whatever condition she has that she will basically seize and die from the emotion so this truth is kept from her Good job. Forever. Forever. Uh, Forever. Yeah. <laughs> Forever. And so I'll set it up a little bit on the robot side. At one point, Gia plans to tell Kim and Q the truth. Like literally she's getting in the car on her way to go confess to him. And his doctor calls because uh, there's this one other patient that his doctor treats who has the same allergy as Kim and Q. And the doctor calls and says, this patient died because he found it's Johnny. out. Yeah, it's Johnny, Johnny and Tilda. Johnny and Tilda. <laughs> Because so Johnny died. Poor Johnny. Another terrible American actor. Well, I don't know if he's American, but he's English or he had to speak English. When he found out that Tilda, who was like his girlfriend or wife, was actually like a con man, like she took all his money. And once he found out he was betrayed, he went into anaphylactic shock and he died. died. <laughs> because, again, as we talked about, this is kind of like psychological and it, and especially Kim and Q, like his allergy stems from being betrayed by someone closest to him because his best friend tried to get him to sign a paper, essentially handing over the company when he was like eight years old. 
So the doctor, you know, they're in the car and the doctor says, you cannot tell him the truth because it might kill him. And so it's very much like kind of the healer plot, which we, if you listen to our healer podcast, we didn't all like love that. And she's obviously like, she's crushed. She she feels terrible because she really wants to tell him the truth, but she also cares way more about keeping him alive. And so, yeah, the Nuna plotline healer came to mind immediately because Moonho doesn't tell her the truth about her daughter because he thought it would cause this life-threatening seizure. And so I, I hated the decision. But they made it seem very real, like this could really kill him. And the thing is, the drama does validate their decision. I mean, they obviously should just never have done it in the first place. I mean, they should never have betrayed him in the first place. But the drama does validate the decision because he does accidentally find out the truth. And he does almost die. Like he goes into like full on gasping, can't breathe shock. And then he's in the hospital for like days, a week, something like that. Their fears were well founded, I guess. Well, especially with the whole Tilda Johnny situation, right? Like their fears were founded because they already saw those fears come to pass when Johnny died after finding out that Tilda conned him. So like literally somebody died from exactly what they were afraid he would die from. And they were terrified to risk that with with Kim and Q. And then when he does find out accidentally, he has the worst allergic reaction to date, like Megan said, and almost dies. But in Healer, however, Nuna's possible reaction to finding out about her daughter being alive was 100% speculation. Like nobody had any sort of grounding to say, if we tell her this, she's going to die. And, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched Healer, Nuna does meet Young Shin, who is her daughter. And even though it's never explicitly said, you get the idea that she knows but somehow that is. knowledge doesn't kill her. But she's fine. Right. She's totally fine. The explicit statement would kill <laughs> <Right>. her. <laughs> or not at all. Like the whole point is, is that she figures it out on her own because she's not a dum-dum and she's fine. Going back to that one now and looking back at Healer as much as I loved that drama, it makes that seem a little bit sillier that they did never say it out loud. Yeah. And it makes me be like, we'll put that theory to the test, honestly. Like, <laughs> tell Nuna... <laughs> And, you know, have the paddles ready and, like, jumpstart <laughs> her back to life. So, you know, after, like, watching what, you know, Q went through, like, truth hurts. Oh, but... God, the paddles. <laughs> truth hurts, but you can survive it if you're not Johnny. If you're not Johnny. Yeah. And that was a, I mean, I do remember when we first had Johnny and Tilda, I was like, huh, I guess we need to know that, like, there's someone else that has this. But I will say... Even with like my my author brain was so taken with everything else that I didn't realize like there was some big foreshadowing coming where I'm like, oh, we should actually be paying attention to horrible Johnny and badly acted Tilda because like clearly they're going to go through some shit that we're going to see echoed. Missed all that. Just like was watching it like this is dumb. <laughs> and then later was like, actually, no, that was important. Okay. <laughs> I totally agree with you, by the way. Because I felt the same. I'm like, I don't they were horrible and they were just horrible actors. Yeah. So that's what yeah. I felt dumb. Okay. On to the good stuff. <laughs> What romance scene in this drama broke you, a.k.a. why did I have swollen eyes for three days? Just talk about yourself in the yeah. third person. It's I, Megan, I mean, just I here, just pretend like you're on your deathbed and <laughs> you know what? Go for it because... Yeah, I'm going to go off again. Okay. So there comes a point where he's very conflicted over his feelings for Aji 3. And this is really difficult. And this is the part where I feel like you got to trust your unis here. Okay. We're telling you that it works. It doesn't sound like it works because you're like, but he's falling for a robot. And it's like, yeah, but then she is actually human and she does talk to him like she's human. So like he is falling for a human and he's conflicted about it. Like he's like, I can't like be in love with a robot. Like, like in honesty, his like 
about three metal breakdowns. You start to feel bad for him. So he knows she's a robot, but she also seems to understand him so well because she is human. He knows he can't go on like this. Like he's literally losing. He feels like he's losing his mind because he's falling in love with a robot. And at one point, the decision is made that he has to reset her. So Jojia has this like fake button on the back of her neck. And so he has to reset her by pressing this button. And this scene, <laughs> I can't even tell you. <laughs> Yo Sung Ho, when he cries, he's kind of like Kim Soo Hun. When he cries, I cry. Because he's so emotive. So he's heartbroken and he's sobbing. And, and it's it, returning it, her to factory settings, basically. Yeah, it's re- correct. He's returning her to factory settings. So she'll basically be stripped of like all the friend mode. So all their, as he said, all their memories will be gone. All the memories they made together. And at this point, he is sort of falling in love with her, but she's his friend. Like, I swear to God, this is like friends to lovers, truly. She wants to tell him so badly, but at this point, she knows she can't because he could die. So she wants to tell him, but she can't. And she can't even, she can't really be crying in front of him either. So she has to suppress all of this while he's sobbing on her shoulder. And you can see she is holding herself so tightly. And the acting in this, I can't, I mean, I actually verbally cried out, this is so painful. Like I actually said that I was as I was watching it. And I'll never forget that scene for as long as, as I live. It was just so well acted, so well done. And it, ah, but it, it killed me. And then I just want to give an honorable mention to the scene where they finally connect under a meteor shower. If you watch the drama, you'll know that like, falling stars and things have a lot of meaning to Kim and Q. And I love this scene because they communicate. Like, it's one of the few dramas where I feel like this is after he yelled at her, after he was betrayed, like, he let, he already, you know, everything. And they reconnect and she lays it all out there. He says, I want you to tell me what happened from the day you met me, the day you walked in my house as the robot to now. I want you to tell me what you, what happened and what you were thinking. And she does. Because she thinks he deserves it, but I, she also she is also trying to reconnect with him. And I loved it. I thought that that communication was stellar. Like, they didn't brush it under the rug. They talked it out. They talked it out! I love both of those scenes. Like, yeah. so heartbreakingly beautiful. Like, the first one, like, so sad. And then the second one, like, just made me feel whole again. But mm-hmm. I'm going to go back now to that scene that you brought up earlier, Megan, with one of your favorite scenes of his. And this for me was one of my favorite scenes of the romance in a weird way. And I went back and rewatched it too, because I wanted to make sure that I was clear on it. So the scene that wrecked me the most was it was in episode 26. So we are going back to it's after Kim and Hugh knows the truth. And Jia keeps going to his house and bringing him food, making sure that he's taken care of, even though he's preparing to sue her <laughs> and the whole scientist team for deceiving him and i mean like rightfully so right every day she shows up and sets up a meal for him and every day he throws it out and acts like he doesn't want to see her and she tells him she's going to keep coming back and eventually we see him softening to the extent that when the next meal rolls around kim and q is actually waiting at the window watching for her to show up on her scooter but she doesn't come We, the audience, know it's because she gets in a minor accident on her scooter, but it's too late. The rejection has already stung 
Kim and Q too deeply so that when she finally does show up, he melts down, tearfully confronting her about what she did to him emotionally, how he feels like such a fool, not only for the lie, but for then falling for what he thought was real because he is in love with her and Jia taking care of him even when he hated her, like to the extent where he pitifully waited for her. Like he thinks he's pitiful for doing it and feels even more dumb for having done so. And so he lets loose on her with all his pent up anger and hurt and throws his, he was drinking and he throws his rocks glass at a glass display cabinet in, in the middle of the room and glass shatters and cuts Jia's hand but she doesn't yell or protest because like we were talking about before, it's really hard to watch, but she deserves to hear this from him because he has not lashed out and she pulled a number on him like really, really big time. And so she just stands there and cries silently as Min screams at her that he wishes he could erase her from his memory until she finally leaves. And this broke me because you know that they're in love. Like, you know that they're in love, but he is so conflicted, even more conflicted than thinking that he was in love with a robot. Now he's like, how can I be in love with this woman who has done these horrible things to me? And so it just broke me. And even though I knew that it would be a happily ever after, because this is a romance, the scene just tore me apart because it's so raw and so real. And I felt every bit of hurt and regret that Minku and Gia felt for the whole situation because you know that they're in love. I know. I know. I think that's what the hardest part about that scene is. I think his feelings are absolutely valid Mm -hmm. and him letting loose on her is absolutely valid. But you also know that they are in love when this is happening. And so it makes it even more painful. And you know that they really do like complete each other. Like that's the thing. Like there are some dramas where I'm like, you know what? You guys have been through some shit and I think maybe it is just better you part ways. Like in all honesty, (laughs) you know, but these two just, I mean, that's why he was so hurt. It's because he genuinely... She was his friend and he was her friend. And she knows that he respects her for what she does, her inventions, who she is. He's like the first man who ever really told her that she was a genius, which is all she really wanted was someone to like acknowledge that. Oh, okay. I don't have anything to add because you talkie McTalkerson's like literally talking about everything. And so if I say anything, it's just gonna be boring. So, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Ditto. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, sorry. I mean, it was great. It's just, I feel like I would be redundant. For me, the reset is what got me the most. I don't know. I mean, the rest of it was all painful, but the reset, I think, was just, I don't know, I guess. It was like, you know, a turning point, and I had been really, I think what it was, too, is just like it was that turning point in the plot where I'd been really enjoying them and that dynamic of the robot Mm -hmm. and him. And so knowing that we were done with that part, too, made me double sad because I knew we were transitioning in the plot. Yeah, because essentially you moved on to another act. Mm Mm-hmm when that happened yeah you're right i agree and kind of like the fun and games felt over and the fun and games were really fun why don't we just talk quick about the extended cast who we liked and didn't hong bae kyun was played by um ki jun and he was a pretty well nuanced character instead of just a flat evil ex i mean there are also a lot of found family vibes so what do you think I thought Hong Bak Yun was awesome as the ex and the conflicted ex who thought he was still in love with her and so made this robot. And I thought it was really well done. But like, I adored the whole ensemble, but Sunip and Haktal stole the show for me as far as secondary characters. So while Jia's bestie Sun Hai was falling for sweet little Haktal, Haktal had to make sure to take care of his little bestie Sunip so he didn't feel left out. And there's just this scene where he has to rub Sunip's ear to keep him asleep. So he can talk and flirt longer with Sun High, and I just died. It was so funny and so cute, and they were, like, two of my favorite characters ever. I really love the whole, like, family thing, because even the AI team, to a degree, like, they were already close, but they became closer, like, together. And I loved, oh, my God, when 
they i mean they would like get drunk with kim and q and even later in the drama when they were making up with him they would like play games with him and i adored that and i even really liked so obviously there was some there was a whole backstory plot where so the chayball baddie who originally tried to steal the company from kim and q when he was like eight years old he's still alive and he's still trying to steal the company and his son is friends or had been friends with kim and q so that whole plot was going on which i really liked and then kim and q also had this like first love which is this woman who she like had been nice to him as a kid and of course that's the one thing you have to think of remember when you watch this drama is and they show this really well he was almost like sometimes stuck in that like eight-year-old mentality sometimes when he like turned eight she gave him this like mug and he kept it and when she shows up at his house they're like 30 now and she shows up at his house and he still has the mug because to him, that was, like, really important. Well, and she'd like- been writing letters, except we would later find out she hadn't written any of the letters her dad had. Right. And so he had kept them all. Because the and- dad, like, wanted to keep her right. on the brain to, like, marry her into the money. Yeah. And, like, so to him, all these things were really meaningful. And to her, I mean, I don't even really blame her. She didn't. She wasn't complicit in, like, the backstabbing. It was another way where the hero was being betrayed. But his first love, while, you know, she wasn't it for him and really had no feelings for him, she truly wasn't complicit in, you know, harming him. Right. And I kind of like the idea that they show that he, so he was still stuck in this, like, eight-year-old, like, crush world. Like, you know what I mean? And she was, I mean, like I said, she was like 30. She'd had a whole lifetime. She had, uh, she had, because she was like living out in the world, unlike him. But I did like her because at first they kind of set her up to just be this kind of like not nice woman, but eventually they gave her some real depth and they even had her play some important parts in the plot. And I really kind of appreciated that, that I thought she wasn't just treated as this like two dimensional like girl that's going to break his heart. Yeah. I think for me, the AI team was my fave. I liked Hong Buk Yun somehow not being this like creepy ex who like built and i mean like listen as we're telling you this we're like (laughs) he built a robot to mirror his ex who he treated poorly and didn't respect (laughs) and then put her control panel into her boobs and i am still telling you that like somehow the writing and the characterization and like the arc that he has feels feminist Because none of that feels okay. And it's not okay. And I feel like he's held to account for the bad choices he's made. And I think that was it too. Like, you know, a lot of these characters are more gray characters who are leaning good. Like, they're not morally bankrupt. But, you know, they're making bad decisions sometimes. But I do think that what is pleasant in watching it is for the most part, they're reconciling them. But they're reconciling them in a believable way that feels authentic. And not just kind of like one dimensional to like keep the story going. Maybe that's why the drama didn't do so well. Because if you try to actually verbalize some of the things, it sounds batshit. Sounds batshit. And it just doesn't sound very like, yeah, nice. Whereas I'm like saying like this character, like Hong Baek Yun ended up being like one of my favorite characters in the drama. He was great by the end. Even as like we see throughout his journey, how like deeply problematic and like, you know, poor choices he's made time and time again. I thought at the end, yeah, we've really gone on a journey with this character and, you know, he's a real leader and has like earned everyone's respect, including mine as a viewer. We've (laughs) seen a lot of dramas with bad English speaking actors, but I am not a robot is up there with some of the worst so let's talk about that (laughs) and we're not we're not talking about 
Koreans speaking English. We oh, are no. talking about quote unquote Americans, but clearly people who are not American playing Americans. And it's just, it's painful. So I, I would just say, dear K-drama production houses, please, for the love of God, stop putting fake Americans in your dramas. It's painful. It takes me out of the scene every freaking time. And there's, in this particular drama, there was no need for the quote unquote American investors. Like they brought nothing to the story. And I yeah, think they could have been Korean investors. Like they didn't need to be yes, American. It could have been anybody. I enjoy that the Americans are the baddies because I think growing True. up with like Indiana Jones and stuff, like every time you see a German roll in, you're like, oh, here we go, the baddies. So it's kind of fun <laughs> yep. to see like Gotta the Americans. Be a Nazi. <laughs> Yeah, we see the Americans show up like, oh, here come the asshole Americans. I'm like, right. you know what? Fair. Like, it feels a little cathartic for the world. But It's like, funny. Yes. Yes. I will say that, like, two points. One is, you know, yes, when we put in, like, the fake Americans, like, those accents really get to us. I will say, Megan, that I do believe that you still have not gone down some of the K-drama rabbit holes that Amy and I have. Because if you feel like this has some of the worst English-speaking scenes of, like, non-English speaker, like, white non-English speakers, right. you have not watched Descendants of the Sun or Heirs. <laughs> um, and Heirs, I, I will say, Heirs aren't even, they're 100% all-American. They just, like... They're just terrible actors. Found yeah. them, like, at the mall eating pretzels <laughs> and were like, come be in this show. And so like, I think K-drama, like, honestly, just bring me in. Like, honestly, I'm not right? great, but I can, like, carry a cadence and, like, make my that's, voice in flat. That's all. That, right. That's all that I'm asking. I'm not saying don't have, quote, unquote, Americans in your dramas, yeah. but just don't have people who are not native English speakers pretend to be Americans. Right. That That's what's pulling me out. So there's this scene. I just have to mention briefly where one of the supposedly Americans, he opens up doors and he expects something to be inside and it's not inside. And they just, you can tell that they're like, he's holding open the doors and the director's like action. And he's like, what the hell? Like, I mean, I mean, I can't even do it with a straight face. Cause he's like, what the hell? And we're, it's the, you're making it sound better than it is. It is. Cause it goes, what the hell? <laughs> That's how he says it. That's much better, Amy. But it's you're still no, making it like, sound better than it is. <laughs> no, like physical. Act, there's it's just so bad. I mean, when it happened, like again, I clearly love this drama. It's but when that happens, somebody I who doesn't it. know what they're saying, and so it'd right. be like if you were going to have me say a line in Russian, and I would have no idea what I was saying, and I'm just like trying to sell it to you, like it would you're be right. the same thing. And I laughed out loud. Like I seriously cracked up because it was so painfully bad and it's not gonna like ruin the drama for you but you are gonna be like okay what the hell was that what the hell was that what the hell actually we're just gonna give this to leah leah in 30 seconds or less explain why listeners need to watch i am not a robot the hero has an allergy to human contact and throws birthday parties for his roomba it's also an enemies to lovers but also a friends to lovers there you go i did that in like 12 seconds watch it yay watch it Okay, real quick, before we get into the book wreck, I made a promise to you guys, last podcast. So, okay, last podcast, real quick. So that was My Love from Another Star. And I was talking about the Caveman Alien series, the book series by Calissa Skye. I was telling everyone how in this book series, the aliens are born from these like plant pods. And we all questioned, I couldn't remember because it had been a while since I read them. We all questioned, how do these plants get fertilized? I have your answer, everyone. I'm going to read this directly from Caveman Aliens Ransom by Callista Sky. 
and I just want to make a point. I'm in no way making fun of this book. I read this entire series. It's extremely entertaining. And frankly, I find this very creative. Okay. So this is the... I feel like I just have a sense of where this is going. Yeah. And I'm more so than ready. The hero's name is Jackson, but it's spelled like Jackson, but I'm just going to say Jackson. So he says... One mature warrior who has survived many battles and hunts and who is still in perfect human health may deposit his hmm, manly juices inside a small life giver bud, which life giver is the name they call the plants. He says the life giver then allows the fetus to grow inside it until ripeness, sensing its need and giving it the nutrition it requires. The bud opens and the egg cracks a new young warrior for the tribe. So they jizz on the plant. So they just didn't plant. So, <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, just so you know, too, the plants produce clones, okay. basically. Like, I don't think the personality is cloned, but they do, like, they, yeah, essentially it's, like, the same genetic whatever, so they're clones. Here's the deal I so, want to make, is Dear K-Drama Production Houses, yeah. keep putting fake Americans in your drama. That's fine. Keep it. But please do a K-Drama where there is an alien warrior caveman species jizzing in the bud of a plant. <laughs> and I, I know this is a long shot, but like, I don't, I mean, that could be ratings gold. <laughs> you know what? They'll do it, but they'll just have the alien caveman warrior with a towel around his waist <laughs> while he's doing it. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say he's wearing a towel. I'm okay. No, as so- long as we see him kind of awkwardly, like Jimmy the bud <laughs> under the towel and then like make his O face. Jimmy the bud. <laughs> so anyway, I just want to, you know, let everyone know that that is the, I told you guys I would No, thank you, know. you. I appreciate it. I'm pleased because that makes more sense than just like mythical like juices. I want them actually jizzed in the plant. I mean, it is true. Like, it actually makes more sense this way. Like, but yeah. And they actually describe the life givers. It's kind of cool. It's it's infrequent books then. Like, there's like also weeds that they have to keep away from the life givers because obviously if the life giver plants die, then they can't procreate. I have a lot more questions about the life giving bud, but I think this right. is like a PG-13 podcast. It is. So yes. I'm going to leave gotta, it there. Yeah, I can give you whole passages. But anyway, so <laughs> this book wreck, because we think if you like K-dramas, you should watch I'm not a robot. So the book rec we're doing this week is basically if you want to start in romance or if you really like romance, an author that we all think you should read. So the author we're going to go with is Jill Shalvis. Her last name is spelled S-H-A-L-V-I-S. I've recommended a Jill Shalvis book on this pod. I forget which. it was. I think it was in her Animal Magnetism series. But Jill Shalvis has written a million books. I'm talking this woman has been at it for decades and she knows what she's doing she writes amazing romances that are very pitch perfect they're sexy they're sweet and so if you're new to romance we recommend picking up a jill chalvis like i said i actually am a huge fan of her animal magnetism series because there's like cute animals in all of them like pets and stuff and i just really like it but she's got loads and loads of great books all right so what are we all currently watching so I said last week I was going to start Vincenzo, but I changed my mind because I'm fickle. And I am now a little over halfway through When the Camellia Blooms. And it is everything. So Amy and Leah have already seen it. I have no words. I'm honestly, this is one of the first dramas that I'm actually kind of like stretching it out on purpose. Because I'm really enjoying every night sitting down with Kang Hanul and like just spending time with him. 
<laughs> like I want to make it last. We will have a deep dive on this coming up. All I can say is put it on your list. You're going to want to watch it. It's another one that to me, reading the description, it's not something that I think I would like or think even like, I don't know, it just didn't capture me. But now that I'm watching it, it's truly everything. Yeah, if I was on, this is the show that if I was on my deathbed, I'd be happy to talk about. Amy and I are both watching Flower of Evil. I'm about five episodes ahead of her. It's a wild ride. I won't say much. We'll probably do a deep dive on this. It's a very briskly paced drama, but it's also very good. And I think, I don't know why I'm on like this like evil stretch, but I feel like when this is done, I really want to watch Beyond Evil, which just won the Baxang Award for Best Drama. I know nothing about it but it won best screenplay drama and actor. So it's obviously got my attention. And so I might transition from flower of evil to beyond evil. Well, I think flower of evil won something. It did it won best director. Okay. That's it. Yeah. I won't say too much about flower of evil other than I think it might have more stabbing than suspicious partner. More stabbing than suspicious partner. (laughs) My God. So much stabbing and suspicious partner. Yeah. I'm a Lee Joongi fangirl now. And I, I'm probably going to go back and watch Lawless Lawyer after this because I love him. Look, I'm, I, I'm telling I'm you. Not, I shouldn't say I love him. I don't love him in a romantic way. I love his performance right now because he is a very conflicting character to love. Yeah. Um, right. But he's doing it so well. Yeah. I mean, I told you, I just you just need to go into Lawless Lawyer not expecting tons out of the romance. But if you're just watching it for like say you're just watching it for Lee Jun-ji you will not be disappointed he is truly awesome in Lawless Lawyer and again I already talked about how the villain is just fucking great so I think you would like Lawless Lawyer it also is pretty fast-paced and maybe that's just like a Lee Jun-ji thing I was also going to say as I was interrupting you rudely that I have a historical that I will vet and see if I feel like you might like it which is a mashup of Lee Junji and Kong Han Newell who you're all liking now because of when the camellias bloom and that is uh, yeah. the historical Scarlet Heart with I use right. the heroine so I will vet it and I mean like yeah I've heard it might not have an HEA I don't know but like I kind of feel like I, I would love watching them both together. Yeah. Well, like I said, Lee Junji's great. I'm really glad you guys are into him because I was sort of like watching him like I'm fascinated by his acting. So I'm Flower of Evil is absolutely on my list. I just got to get through When the Camellia Blooms. And like I said, I'm savoring it because it is so freaking good. It is meant to be savored. I mean, I my daughter snuck in my bed the one night when I was watching this certain scene. All I'm going to say, it's the drone scene. Episode 11. Episode 11. Must be an episode eleven thing because that was it thing. is that's right. And I screamed, like in happiness. I squealed and woke my daughter up. She was like, like her little blonde head pops up, and she's like, ah. And I was like, go to bed, mommy's fine. Like, <laughs> so next episode, Megan, you are going to be moving, I believe. Yes. So you will not be joining us, sadly. So Amy and I are holding down the fort by doing kind of like double dipping some dramas that Megan is not chomping at the bit to see that we have seen that seemed fair. So Amy, given that there's like a common theme to both of these dramas, do you just want to give a quick teaser to what's coming? So 
we are going to be sort of comparing, contrasting Boys Over Flowers and Airs. And I know what you're saying. Amy, isn't Lehman Ho in both of those dramas? And yes, he is. He is. We are going to be talking about what we loved about these dramas, what we found problematic, and how they're very, very similar. But I think one gets it a little more right than the other. And second male, I mean, as much as Amy, like, Oh, yes, and second male lead syndrome. Yeah, as Gosh, much as yes. you are into Lehman Ho, second male lead syndrome, big time in both of them. Yes. Yeah, Ares is the reason why I went off the deep end with <laughs> Kim Woo Bin in Uncontrollably Fond. So, yeah, I'm really excited. So, I just want to say thank you for watching Robot after I lost my ever loving mind. I want to thank both of you and thank you for humoring me on this podcast because normally Leah writes like most of our stuff. Uh, I mean, we give input, obviously, but I actually did want to take the lead on this one because I love this drama so much and they, again, let me. You did a they great job. For, yeah, they they thank you for having us watch it because it was an absolute joy. They were nice to their maknae. And <laughs> so I just want to say thank you because this this made me so happy. <laughs> I just love it so much. So anyway, I hope you guys watch this drama. And if you do, let us know what you think because I would love to hear what you listeners think about it. So with All that right. said, we need to end this because I rambled so much this and night. This is going to be the longest episode we've ever had. I, I know. I think I'm so sorry. too. I gotta go. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. So thanks okay. for listening, everybody. Annyeong. Annyeong. Kamsamnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K romance conversation, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong!